look at a skyscraper and think, wow, look at that foundation. But the truth is, the building wouldn't be able to withstand the storms it faces without the solid foundation. What is your foundation built on? Well, good morning, Journey. Good to see you guys here today. <laughs> Looking good, I, especially with, a, you know, I don't know what your neighborhood was like, but mine was alive from about 9.30 to about 1 o'clock in the morning. How about yours? My goodness, we love our fireworks here in Kansas City, and that was just a precursor to tonight, right? Yeah, happy Independence Day. We're so excited to, that you're here today. Um, happy birthday to the United States of America. We're 245 years old today. That's pretty cool, huh? Yeah, we made it this far. And I'm, I'm super grateful to be here with you. I want to welcome those again who are viewing online today. I hope you slept well last night. Hey, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We are in week 5 of our series, Jesus and Spiritual Foundations. This is actually week 31 of our series we've been doing since last year on the Sermon on the Mount. My name is Mike Evans. I serve on the pastoral staff here. I'm super humbled to be here, super honored to get to share from God's Word and my heart with you here today uh, here at Journey. Um, uh, Pastor Christian's away, and I'll kind of fill you in on what he's doing this weekend here in just a second. But let me uh, introduce our series premise once again. Um, Our series premise that we've had for this series is to learn the foundational beliefs that followers of Jesus embrace as their spiritual worldview. We're really talking about what are the foundational things about what we believe that affect how we behave as followers of Jesus. So speaking of beliefs, um, I just returned the night before last from Talladega, Alabama. I looked for him, but Ricky Bobby was not there. Um, A bunch of people looked like Ricky Bobby were there, but there was no Ricky Bobby sightings in my life. But I was there with Pastor Christian and about a dozen of our interns uh, serving, and Pastor Christian was speaking at the Gotel Camp, which is a ministry that uh, Pastor Christian has been a part of and uh, spoken for camps for Gotel for many, many years. And uh, I had the opportunity and the honor to get to go with him. Um, and I just want to kind of give you a little report. Um, they've been there for about five, PC and I, PC and I were there. We got there Tuesday. I left Friday, but uh, he's still there because he's speaking now at session two of Gotel. But the first night of camp, um, was so special. It was so awesome. Um, Pastor Christian was a speaker, and he gave a great message out of First Kings chapter 18 about Elijah on Mount Carmel. And, and then he called uh, about 300 young people there to make a spiritual decision to follow Jesus. And when he did as he does, where he said, you know, when you're ready to, if you want to uh, accept Christ to come into your life, then you can raise your hand when I get to the count of three. And he went one, two, three, and there were just hands everywhere in that room. And as he started counting, he stopped at 47. And he said, okay, I'm done counting. If you made a spiritual decision, stand up and come forward. And this is a picture of what that scene looked like. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah, isn't that good? And through my tears, there was a group of boys that kind of, they all kind of latched onto each other. They go, we're all accepting Christ together. And they all kind of came forward as, you know, it was just so cool. But there's kids crying, kids, there's leaders praying over them. Delshawn's right there. You see him right there? Uh, one of our interns, um, he didn't accept Christ. He was there mentoring the kids. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's so exciting. So right now, um, it's the last day of Go Tell Camp there. And PC is, Pastor Christian is still there. And he is speaking to the kids right now. 
at this very moment at their 11 o'clock service. So I'd like to take a moment and pray and pray for him and then also pray for our message. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for this Independence Day weekend. And I was reminded as I drove home on Friday, um, as I drove through Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee and Arkansas and Missouri, I was just reminded of the beauty of this great country that we have the privilege of living in. So grateful that you've blessed us and you give us the opportunity to, um, to gather together and celebrate you, who you are, what you've done. Thank you for the freedoms we experience here in the United States. God, I pray for Pastor Christian as he preaches even this very moment, this Sunday morning at the day, at the last day of session two of GoTel. God, I pray that there would be kids that would be coming to faith in Jesus. There would be kids that would be surrendering areas of their life that they've been holding on to, to Jesus. There would be kids that would be called into full-time Christian ministry today. God, just give him the, the, the courage and the wisdom and the strength to finish strong there this last day at Gotel. And God, as we open your word together now, we pray that you would speak to us uh, through me because of Jesus to the people. God, shape us to be more like Jesus as we leave here than we were when we came in. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the goal of today's message that I want to walk us through here this morning is this. Number one, the first goal is to drop our lists and give Jesus our hearts. I'll explain what that means here in just a moment. Um, And then the second goal is like it is to discover how my obedient behavior to the will of God reveals my heart and my true connection to Jesus. Like how we behave is a natural outflow of what we believe. We're learning about that right now. And so um, in Matthew 7 last week, Pastor Christian um, walked us through a a teaching that helped us as he talked about false prophets to identify and to avoid the teaching of what he called false prophets. And uh, um, we all know that those people were around then. And to be honest, today, false prophets are still alive and well in 2021. So we're going to build on that text this morning. It's the same conversation Jesus is having here. We're going to look this morning at the next three verses after that passage about false prophets as our primary text of study this morning. And I just want to encourage you, Journey, whether you're here in the auditorium or you're watching online here this morning, to buckle your spiritual seatbelts because we are, on, we are in for a little bit of a ride. So are you guys ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said this. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Yeah. Strong words from Jesus, but very honest words as well. Now, it would be our hope and our prayer that one day when your life ends, and make no mistake, everyone is going to come to the end of their life, right? When you come to the end of your life, that you're, you would not have this conversation with Jesus. You know, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it's appointed for a man once to die and after, faith, after that to face 
the judgment. And Jesus is our judge. And we do not want you to get to that point where you have a conversation with Jesus where you say, Jesus, man, I did all kinds of cool stuff for you. I thought we were good. And he just kind of turns his back and says, no, you missed the point of the whole thing away from me. I might pray that we don't, that you don't have that. And so over the past couple of weeks, as I've been preparing to teach here this morning, I've, I've grappled with this text and um, wrestled with it a lot. And kind of my big question I, I had kind of emerged from verse 22 there in Matthew 7. And the question I had is, what did these guys do wrong? I mean, it says that they, they prophesied in Jesus' name, that they, they, they said anyway, that they gave messages they would say were from God to the people. Now, whether they were deceived themselves or they were trying to deceive the people and lying, Scripture doesn't, doesn't really make that clear. But it says that's what they did. And they said they also drove out demons in Jesus' name. Now, remember from last week's message, if you heard it, if you didn't get to hear it, I'd encourage you to go back. Pastor Christian talked about how there's a spiritual realm, but it's not always Jesus doing the work, that Satan and his demons have power as well. And I realized that Jesus saw right through these guys, that they were flat out lying to Jesus about where the power that they attributed to Jesus actually came from. And whether, again, whether they were fooling themselves or trying to deceive Jesus and others, this we do know, tapping into the demonic world and attributing that work to Jesus, that is a bad idea and that is bad news and it ended badly for the people Jesus is addressing here, right? And they said they performed many miracles in Jesus' name. Sure, miracles, but in Jesus' name, no way. Because to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, what did they do wrong? And I, I remember I woke up about 10 days ago, about three o'clock in the morning, I was thinking about this passage as I fell asleep, still wrestling with it. About three o'clock in the morning, every once in a while, the Holy Spirit does this to me. And and I just kind of wake up thinking about something um, that I'm working on or or building. And and, and the thing that he woke me up saying that they did wrong was this. They said, Jesus, let me show you my spiritual resume. Let me show you all the good things that I've done for you. Let me, kind of like a lawyer, build a case and prove to you that I'm good. And if I think we're good, then we're good because what I think is important and should be important to you. Like, Jesus, here's what I did for you. Here's, here's how I've showed you whose team I'm on. So you need to let me in because of all these things that I've done for you. Now, whatever their motive was for why they said what they said When they were standing before Jesus, here's what they got wrong. They brought Jesus a list when what Jesus really wanted, you guys, was their hearts. That's what Jesus wanted first. These spiritual tryhards literally thought they could perform and that they're keeping the letter of the law would like earn them Jesus's favor, that he would be so impressed with them that he would say, cool, same team, come on in. That's kind of what was going on here. But there was no heart change in these people. And because of that, Jesus looked in their eyes and said, depart from me. Here's the trap that they either chose or fell into. They followed the rules, but they forgot the heart. And the question here that we want to grapple with, one of the questions is, what is Jesus more interested in first? That's the next slide. Yeah. Our hearts or our obedience? He wants both. But one comes before the other. And so much, so much of this, that when people get this order wrong, it's done so much damage 
in the church and in families and in our world. See, the order of of obedience, that's kind of the title of this message today, is this, hearts first, then obedience follows. You don't remember anything from this message, but one thing, this is what I would want you to remember. Heart first and obedience follows. It was Jesus who said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see the order there? Love me, then keep my commandments. He did not say, if you keep my commandments, then I'll love you. He didn't say you have to earn your way. He said, if you love me, the next, the next thing you do is, is keep my commandments. You remember the old rhyme that says, first comes love, then comes marriage? In this, first comes, obe- first comes the heart, then comes obedience. And there's so many, you guys, there's so many belief systems that mess this up. So many. I think about, I think about Islam and the five pillars of Islam that, that if you're a Muslim, you have to follow all of the five pillars, letter to the law. And even and when you get to the end of your life, Allah, the Muslim God, arbitrarily can, can pick you to come in or he can say, no, you don't get to come in, arbitrarily. So much pressure on Muslims who, who have to follow those five pillars to the letter in order to potentially get to heaven. I think about Hindus. I was talking to, last night I was talking to a family that came out of the Hindu religion and he, they affirmed this. It, it's totally by works. You go through the cycle of death and reincarnation until you reach what's called moksha, a state of completeness and, and the pressure to, to do the right things so that you can come back making one more step towards completeness. Like there's so much pressure in that belief system, in that religion. I think about Buddhism and the eightfold path that you have to follow in order to reach enlightenment and how much pressure is on those people, how much time and the things they have to do to themselves in order to try to prove themselves to th- that they're worthy of enlightenment. You know, before the eight o'clock service this morning, I, I was talking to a couple of our interns who both came out of the Mormon church and they said, Mike, don't forget about the Mormons. Don't forget about the faith plus works salvation that if you're a Mormon, that's what you have to follow. And the pressure that people from the LDS church, maybe there's some people who come out of the LDS who are here today or watching online, and the pressure you guys have to face in order to potentially earn God's favor. Can I just say to you, today is for you because we want to set you free by talking about the heart of God and the grace of Jesus to you. Now think about American Christianity. We're not out of this either, you guys. I think about how so many of us buy the lie and fall into the performance trap of of thinking that God's love for us is contingent on our performance for him. Like if we go to church and if we do our best to avoid sin or at least manage our sin so other people don't see it, we try really hard as followers of Jesus. We do more good than bad. We put a smile on our face even when we don't feel like it. We don't hurt other people. We're just kind of good people. We think that if we just kind of do and do and do that God will look down on us and kind of go, okay, that's good enough. That's good enough. But if you read the gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that that's not the gospel at all. Knowing Jesus starts with the condition of the heart, not a list of rules. So, what, so the question is, what kind of heart is Jesus looking for, you guys? What kind of heart does Jesus respond to? What kind of heart would Jesus welcome? Because that's what, if I was in your shoes, that's what I would be really interested in. If he's going to reject people who bring the list, then what kind of heart does, do we need to have in order for Jesus to be pleased with us? Well, let me, let me kind of walk you through some, uh, some characteristics of a heart that Jesus is looking for. Number one, he's looking for a tender heart. 
He's looking for a soft heart. He's looking for an open heart. Like the woman in the story in John chapter 12 who came to Jesus and broke the alabaster jar of expensive perfume and then poured it out on Jesus' feet and then wiped um, his, his feet clean with her hair simply to say, I love you, I honor you, and I want to be near you. That tenderness, that softness, that sweetness, that's the kind of heart that Jesus welcomes, that Jesus wants He wants a kind of heart that's a heart full of faith, like the faith of the centurion soldier in Luke chapter 7, whose son had died. And he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I have faith in Europe. Basically, he said, I am paraphrasing here, but it's okay, I'm a professional. Um, he's, he's, He's saying, Jesus, I have faith in your ability to heal my son without even being near him. You just say the word, Jesus, and it'll happen. And Jesus said, truly, I've never found such great faith in all of Israel. It takes that kind of 100% trust where you say, Jesus, I trust you, not me. I trust you, not me. 100% all that I have and all that I am. It takes a tender heart. It takes a, it takes a heart of faith. It takes a repentant heart like the, like, like the prodigal son had in Luke chapter 15 when he, when he realized when he was feeding those pigs in that trough. And, it's, and I love the six-word prayer that you find in Luke chapter 15. It says when that, when that young man came to his senses, when he came to his senses, he realized, oh my goodness, I need to, come, I need to go home because my father will take care of me there. And a heart that says, I'm sorry, Lord, for, for my wrong choices. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that, that, uh, for what I've done. Bottom line, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. End of story. What kind of heart does God hear? He hears a tender heart, a heart that's soft, that's not hard. He hears a, he hears a broken heart, a heart that knows it has nothing to prove to God. Has not, doesn't, doesn't put a list together and say, God, look at all the stuff I've done. Aren't you impressed? And it, it, it looks for a, God hears a de- heart that's desperate for grace, not full of lists and great things that we've done, but a heart that's broken and open and willing to be used by him. Let me show you an example of a contrast between a heart that God rejects, that Jesus rejects, and a heart that he welcomes. If you flip a few chapters to the right to Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to walk you a couple, through a couple of interactions Jesus has that kind of demonstrate this picture. You know, Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 19, um, Jesus has an interaction with a guy. We never learn his actual name, but we kind of have labeled him the rich young ruler. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, he has this, uh, he asks this man, asks Jesus this question, what good thing must I, what must I do to get or to earn eternal life? And Jesus being the insightful person that he was, decides to kind of play along here. So he tells this rich young ruler to keep the commandments. And the guy says, okay, yeah, I, I've done that. What else do I need to do? And Jesus sees clearly that he's wealthy. That he's got a lot of money. He's dressed nice and all of that. And so Jesus tests this guy to see if what he is trusting in salvation is a who or if it's a what. And he tells him, if you know the story, you know what he says. He says, okay, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, Give the money to the poor and then come follow me. And what did the guy do? He said he walked away because he was a man of great wealth. See, the guy wanted to check off a list to Jesus and say, we good? And Jesus said, no, because there's something on the throne of your heart not named me. And because of that, he walked away. Now, contrast that story, which is kind of a tragedy, to the story that happens or to, to, to a declaration that Jesus says right before um, his interaction with the rich young ruler. There in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14, it says this. 
People brought the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Question, why does the kingdom of heaven belong to such as these? Like, what is it about children that so moved Jesus' heart to welcome them and to open his arms to them? You know, my wife, Wendy, is a PE teacher at Summit Point Elementary, just right right down the street here on Horridge and at Horridge in 150. And last Monday, a week ago Monday, the day after Father's Day, she went to the zoo with my youngest son, Zach. And so they were having a good time at the zoo, and Wendy went to the restroom. And while she was in the restroom, she was washing her hands, and she looked to her left, and there are these two um, little seven-year-old girls sitting right, standing right next to her. And because she's a PE teacher, when she sees little kids, she'll kind of look at them to see if they're, you know, girls that she, or kids that she has in her classes, and then they can kind of have a moment of bonding or whatever. And she looked at him and looked at him and kind of smiled and said, hi. And their mom was standing right there. And, and, uh, and, and one of the girls looked at, up at Wendy and kind of looked her up and down and said, oh, I love your shoes. <laughs> and Wendy was like, wow, that's so nice. Thank you so much. That kind of made my day that you would say that. Well, her twin sister, not to be outdone, goes, I love your earrings. So Wendy's like, oh my gosh, this is the best. You guys, I, I, I'm a VE teacher to elementary kids, so I always like to have kind of fun shoes because kids notice them like you guys did and, and all that. And so they just kind of had this moment where they just really connected and the mom's standing right there and they walked out of the bathroom and there's my son, Zach, and he looks at Wendy and he, and he sees obviously that they're kind of having fun and chatting together and goes, uh, hey mom, uh, do those kids go to, do those girls go to Summit Point? And she said, no, we actually just met in the bathroom. So... And so that night, um, we're, we're all at home, sitting in the living room, talking after dinner. All six of all my, me and all four of my kids are together, and, uh, which doesn't happen very often, so it was a cool moment. Um, and we were all just talking, and, and one of the other kids, um, Wendy told the story, and one of the other kids said, Mom, you're like the kid whisperer. Like, wherever they go, wherever you go, they follow you. And why do kids respond to you like that, Mom? What makes you a kid whisperer? And Zach, my second son, said, I know why. That's because um, mom looks kids in the eye when everyone else looks past kids. She looks at them, not past them. And I think about this story in Matthew chapter 19, and I think about that question, why would Jesus say that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these? And it's because when Jesus looks at kids, they look back at him, and they're like, He's looking at me. This is cool. Jesus is looking at me. When children looked at Jesus, they made a connection. They didn't miss the point. Like so many of us, who, when Jesus looks at us, we look right past him. This morning, the same Jesus who changed those kids' lives at Gotel, the same Jesus who loved you so much that he gave his life that you might live, he looks at you. He looks at you. He doesn't look at your list. He doesn't look at the stuff that you've done. He doesn't look at the accolades you've had. He doesn't look at whether you're single or married, rich or poor, what color you are. He doesn't look at how old you are. He doesn't look at any of that. You know what he looks at? He looks at you, Val. He looks at you. And he says, I love you, Chris. I love you. Not because of what you've done, Derek. Not because of all the cool stuff you've done in your life 
but because of you. Because I made you, I created you for a relationship with me. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that your soul was stirred and your heart was moved just because you couldn't get over the fact that Jesus loves you? Like when you were taking a walk, maybe you're taking a walk or maybe you're sitting in a worship service or maybe you're reading your Bible, or maybe you're just kind of standing there doing the dishes or mowing the lawn or whatever, and all of a sudden, it just kind of hits you what Jesus did, and you, and you think about the fact that his hands were nailed into up on that cross, and his legs were nailed to that cross, and his side took a spear to prove that he was dead when that blood and water flowed out of his body, and you think, oh my gosh, Jesus, you did that for me. Like, you lost, you are God of the universe. You are there at creation. You made it all. You know it all. And you gave your life for a sinner like me. And that just wrecked you. When's the last time that happened? When's the last time maybe you took communion and, and, you, and you were holding the elements and um, you thought about the blood that Jesus shed for you and the, the body that, was, that Jesus allowed to be broken for you and you just kind of were like, I don't even know if I want to take these elements because I'm so moved by what Jesus did for me. You know, at the camp, I remember we sang the song, Goodness of God, and I was standing next to Rick Gage, the director of the GoTel Conference. He's 63, I'm 50-something. And so, uh, um, and all these kids are singing this song, and it said, all my life you have been faithful. You know that line in that song, if you know the song, all my life you've been so, so good. And I looked at Rick, and I go, brother, this song means a little more to us than it does to them because I'm old and have been through a lot more. And you guys, Jesus' love for you is just relentless. You know, there's a scripture I memorized years ago, Romans 5, 8, that said, God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I know that you know that. I know that maybe some of you have memorized that. I know that some of you are very comfortable with that passage because you've heard it taught a lot. My question for you this morning is not do you know it, It's have you recovered from it? Have you recovered from it? Because here's the reality. A heart that follows Jesus never recovers from the fact that Jesus died so that they might live. It doesn't become old hat. It doesn't become just this thing people say. It is the gospel and it changes everything every day, every minute, because Jesus lives, we have the opportunity to live. And you guys, obedience is so important to do what God has called us to do, but it doesn't come first. These people in this story who Jesus rejected, there's no way their hearts were right with Jesus or Jesus wouldn't have rejected them. First comes your heart. I remember, uh, was it three or four nights ago when all those dozens of kids came forward, um, when Pastor Christian called them forward to, to receive Christ. And I just remember looking at them and, and thinking, these kids for the first time are coming face to face with Jesus. And it was just a miraculous thing to witness because, man, it's just beautiful. And I thought about that like at Jam Week a couple weeks ago when, when, what was it, 97 kids or whatever. I don't know, I probably got the number wrong. I probably said too many, but whatever. Um, lots and lots of kids, dozens of kids gave their hearts to Jesus. And I just sat in the back as Heidi shared that, and I watched those hands go up, and I just got emotional thinking, oh, my goodness, 
the adventure these guys guys and girls are going to have if they never recover from the fact that God demonstrated his love for them while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. Journey, never recover from that. Our best days are ahead of us. If we live in light of the gospel, if we live in light of the fact that Jesus died so that we might live. You know, as I was watching that Jam Week experience and I watched that happen last week with PC, this passage of scripture um, just kind of was screaming in my heart out of Second Chronicles 16.9. It says, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, just scanning the earth to strengthen those whose what, you guys? Whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's not their obedience, it's not their stuff, it's not their list, it's not their money, it's their hearts. You know, it was John Wesley who said, give me a hundred people who love nothing but God and fear nothing, or fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin and I'll change this world for the kingdom. Jesus looks at you, not past you. Jesus looks at you, not past you. He is not asking you today to prove your worthiness to God. Christianity is not a transaction you exchange. Is there a moment in time where we have to say yes to Jesus? Yes. But it's not a transaction you exchange where you say, God, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. No, it's a relationship. We receive it. We don't do. We trust in what's been done. And whatever you've done, whatever's been done to you, Jesus looks right into your heart and he says, guess what? Do you know how much I love you? I gave you my life. And friend, he is the only one who's worthy of your heart. He's the only one who's worthy of your total lifelong affection. But just as strongly, make no mistake, he will reject, the scripture's strong here, he will reject those who are deceived into thinking or those who intentionally put obedience before a heart commitment. Because the people Jesus is referring to, they thought they could fool him or maybe they were fooled themselves. The scripture's not clear about all of that. But the reality is this, and no one can do themselves into God's good graces. He wants your heart. And then from a heart that has been changed, has experienced the grace of God, then come acts of obedience in response to what he's done. So the question today, this morning, is this. Does Jesus have your heart? If he doesn't, and you know it, can I challenge you to give it to him today? Can I challenge you to open up your heart to admit what so many of us have admitted, that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and would you give your heart to him today? And if you do that, and then and only then comes the best part. Because here's the great news. Once you're a follower of Jesus whose heart is his, he goes, guess what? Guess what, Kirsten? Guess what, Lisa? Guess what, Hannah? You have a gift. You have like, you have a gift. You have something inside of you that the world needs that I've given to you and you get to learn what that is and you get to exercise it and grow in it and make this world a place that's better because you have a gift. You get to know me better every single day. You get to, you get to learn about me. You get to know me. You get to grow. If you grab a hold of that, it will change your life. I want to share with you a scripture right now because this scripture is kind of my why. It's my lifelong why. Remember that book that said, start with why? This is my why. And I, I, w- I pray it kind of maybe becomes yours. It kind of summarizes this message, I think. Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 17, the apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, 
city in ancient Greece, says this. He says, for Christ's love compels us. That means it motivates us. Like it's what stirs us to action. Christ's love compels us. Not making Jesus like think we, making Jesus like us more. Not so we can put a list together and say, hey, Jesus, look what I did. It's the love of Jesus that compels us because we are convinced, we are convinced that one, Jesus died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You want a reason to live? This is a reason to live. The love of Jesus that has so changed your heart that could compel you to do what he has called you to do. Not because of a list, but because of Jesus. This passage goes on and it says, so from now on, I love this so much, you guys. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You know, in the world, what we do so often, we like, we look at people and we think, how can that people, how can that person make me feel better? How can that person make me look better? What can I get from them? How does it make me look if I hang out with them? Like, what is it about that person that I can get from them? As followers of Jesus, that is not the way he calls us to to relate to people. He says, we regard no one from, an earthly, from a worldly point of view. We regard people as people who Jesus made, who God created, who are what we call fellow image bearers. And so every single person we are interacting with in our life, rich, poor, whatever color, whatever economic, whatever, whatever doesn't matter. We regard no one from a worldly point of view basically saying, what can we get from them? We regard everyone from a Christ-centered point of view where we go, hey, that's a person Jesus loves, and I need to love that person like Jesus did. I need to serve that person like Jesus did. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, that's, that's how the guys in Matthew 7 regarded Christ. What they could get from him, we do so no longer. Therefore, see that therefore, you, when you see a therefore, I taught this back in Memorial Day when I preached. Um, I said, whenever you see a therefore in the scripture, what's the question you always ask? What's it there for? Because of the love of Christ, because we regard no one from a worldly point of view, because of who Jesus is and what he does in our life, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new has come. Journey, this is our why. This is our why. Because Jesus loved us and so changed our lives. We get to follow him. We get to know him and make him known. So the challenge this morning is really simple. Abandon the list and embrace Jesus. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a list keeper. Maybe you're a, this is all the stuff I've done to prove to Jesus how good I am. And you're sitting here wishing that I would shut up because I'm kind of blowing up that thought that Christianity is a list of do's and don'ts. It's a formula because it's not. It's Jesus. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. You know, you've heard the past couple weeks about stuff we're getting ready to do this fall, our discipleship tracks we're we're about to engage in. And I'm so excited about what God's getting ready to do in and through our church in this area of discipleship. And um, there's kind of four parts to the discipleship track. We're going to ask everybody in the church to pick one and to spend a year in that one and then pick another one and spend a year in that one and then another one. And over the course of four years to to walk through um, the Jesus track where where you'll learn to know and love and walk with Jesus daily, that you'll grow in in your walk with Jesus. You'll be, be immersed. 
immersed in the Gospels and the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just getting to know Jesus better. And then the scripture track that PC talked about last week to help you develop a biblical worldview of life where you learn to handle this book and you learn, the, you, you learn the genres of Scripture. You learn how to read Psalms differently than Genesis, differently than Revelation, differently than Matthew. You know, you just, you get a hand, we're going to help you get a handle on this book. Why? So you can get to know Jesus better. You can get to understand that the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, points to Jesus. And then the New Testament is all about Jesus and the birth of the church and beyond all the way to today. It's an amazing book. And we're going to take that Scripture and take it. We want a lot of you guys to take a year and just kind of learn that with us. And then this life track where um, we're going to help you apply biblical truth and principles to life situations and seasons. Just if you're in a place of you need, you need some divorce care, cool, we've got that. If you, if you need some financial peace, we've got that. If you need to uh, celebrate recovery, a ministry for people struggling with addiction, we'll give you that. Like this is kind of a, for seasons. And then the leadership um, track where we're gonna help you um, to become disciple makers who make disciples. You're like, I'm ready to get the great commission I'm ready to to do what God has called me to do in terms of influencing other people for Jesus. That's what the leadership track is all about. But remember, 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 we don't do, we're not going to do this stuff so we can prove anything to Jesus. We're going to do these things because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done in our life. And because we want to know him better, because we want to learn more about him, because we want him to help us in the seasons and situations of our lives, because we want to lead people well to know him like we know him. What kind of things do we want it to produce in us? We want it to produce these things. You know this verse, the fruit of the Spirit is love. This to help us become more loving people, more joyful, more peaceful, more forbearance. It's the patience is the word we usually see there. How many of you guys need more patience, right? Some of you are like, I'm having patience with you, Mike, because it's almost noon and you're still talking. Um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's my word for 2021. That I've been asking God to help me grow in, in self-control. Against such things, there is no law question I have for you is, is that what you look like? Is that what you look like? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, Pastor Mike, why do you keep hammering away on the condition of my heart? Why do you keep talking about this? Why are you so like crazy today about how's your heart? How's your heart? How's your heart? Is your heart in love with Jesus? Is your heart in love with Jesus? Is your heart in love with Jesus? I'll give you two reasons why. Number one, because that's what Jesus did with the people. When he interacted with people, he was always about the why. Why are you doing this? What's your motivation? And the second reason is this, because from the bottom of my heart, and I know Pastor Christian would be right here with me, Pastor Ryan, our whole team would be right there with me. We do not want you to have the conversation one day with Jesus that these guys had in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. But the way that happens is you give your heart to Jesus. You see, because here's the thing. Obedience without a heart change is hollow and will not stand the test of time. It will not. You can try hard. I know people who try hard. They're still trying hard to impress Jesus. And they've missed the gospel in the middle of it. They've missed Jesus in the midst of trying to impress Jesus. And they can do it. People do it for years and years and years. Can I just say, Stop. guess what? He's looking at you and he just wants your attention. He wants you to spend time with him. Not so you can check off a quiet time box, but so you can get to know him better. So you can understand his love for you, his passion for you, his desire for you to grow. 
see, that's the bottom line. Obedience without a heart change is hollow, will not stand the test of time. But a heart that's in love with Jesus, that will. See, we live, we, we, as a team, we have this value. It's called love like Jesus. And the whole point of it is that we would love Jesus so much that we would lead from the overflow. What that means is so many people in this world overwork, they overdo, they overcommit, they overschedule, they over this and they over that. Over that. When Jesus is said here in John chapter 7, um, he says this in John 7, he says, Jesus stood, stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You believe in Jesus, you give your heart to Jesus, and you let him fill you up. You know what happens? You don't overwork for Jesus. You overflow Jesus. People just see him in your life. And that's our vision. That's what we want you to do. That's what we want to do, to to understand that obedience to Christ is an overflow of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. And it looks like the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't look like a list of rules. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So journey. Will you give him your heart? He's looking right at you. And you know it. Those of you watching online, you know it. He is looking at your heart. And he's saying, I love you. Put your list away. Abandon the list. And embrace me. And if you will do that, that's the beginning of the greatest adventure you could ever experience in your life. And I I truly believe that God has people here today they need to take that step. So will will you pray with me and we will um, see what God wants to do in this next moment. God, let's all pray together. I can't help but wonder this morning if there's some who as we just take a moment to breathe are having to admit to themselves and to God that they have misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus for a long time. And this morning, it's your time to come to God, to come to Jesus and say what so many of us have already said. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I thought being a Christian was about message of hope and grace that we celebrate as followers of Jesus and you're like, I want me some of that. I want it. If that's who Jesus is, I want to I want to know him. Wherever you're from, wherever you're whatever your place is, if you need to give your heart to Jesus this morning in the silence of this moment, in the safety of this place, whether you're here or watching online, will you just pray silently in, the, in your heart? God can hear your thoughts. He can see your heart. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. That's, that's baptism. That's later. But for, for now, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about giving your heart to Jesus. If you're in a place where you need to give your heart to Jesus, will you just admit and repeat after me these words in the silence of your own heart? Lord Jesus, I need you. I have misunderstood what Christianity is. 
baggage into it and I carried my baggage into my faith and I realized right now that I just need to let it go and give my heart to you. Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you take control of my heart and make me the kind of person you created me to be? so much I don't know, so much I don't understand, but I know, like the children in the story, I want to be yours. I want to connect to you. If that's you here in this place today, if you prayed that with me, then I want to, in a very sensitive and appropriate way, just pray for you. But I want to know if you're here today and you made that decision. So the way I'm going to ask you to let me know is this. I'm going to count to three in just a second and I'm going to raise my hand or I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and uh, I'll just kind of scan the audience and if there are any here who prayed with me to receive Christ, I want to just celebrate that decision with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you feel weird, but I do want to know so I can pray for you and we can celebrate that moment together. So if you prayed with me to ask Jesus into your life, will you just raise your hand right now? One, two, three. Just raise your hand somewhere in this audience. There's people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. God, I thank you for these nine. You can put your hands down. God, I thank you for these nine people in this room. I don't know their story, but you do. I said, I want to make a fresh start. I want to give my heart to you. Jesus, I pray that you would, you would allow us the honor and the opportunity to help them take their first and next steps with you. Now, to the rest of you here today, who maybe there's some of you here today who you know Jesus, but if you were to be, if we were sitting across the table at a coffee shop or a restaurant, you would say, Pastor Mike, I've gotten off track I've forgotten the point of this whole thing. I've forgotten that it's about Jesus and not my works. I've forgotten that it's about Jesus and not my list. And I've just kind of lost my way. Can you help me? Yes, I can help you. Yes, we can help you. But it starts with admitting that. So Jesus, we admit that we need you to help us stay on track. God, I pray thanking you so much for who you are. I pray thanking you so much for what you have done. You are good. You are great. You are worthy of our praise. You're the only one who is worthy of our life's affection. You have captured our hearts, and we are so grateful for who you are. Lord, I I pray that we as a church would understand that our best days are ahead of us if we would just come to grips with the truth for for our whole lives and never recover from the truth that you demonstrated your own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And may we never never recover from that and may we just bring that message to a lost and hurting world until the day that we die. We love you, Jesus. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. We pray all these things in your name. Amen and amen.